Are you ready to live your best life, be stronger, and fall in love with yourself? It's possible and it's within you, but you need to unlock the power within. Welcome to Fearlessly Authentic with Jody Harrison Bauer. Jody is now living the best life ever, but it took some stepping out of her comfort zone. She's going to show you how it can be done. Here is your host, Jody Harrison Bauer. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Fearlessly Authentic. I am your host, Jody Harrison Bauer, and thank you so much for joining us today. And if you are returning to the show, I really appreciate it. And everybody all over the world who's been listening, it is going to be an exciting show. And as you guys know, if you have been coming and listening to this the show for the past 12, 13 weeks already, you know that it's all about educating you in something that's really exciting empowering you, and then inspiring others, right? That's what it really comes down to. We want to educate, empower, and inspire. And, you know, not so serious stuff, but fun stuff. And Mm. today's guest is really, really going to rock your world. Um, She has really talked about being fearlessly authentic, going outside of her comfort zone and everything that she does. And I'm going to give you a little bit of background on my guest today, Nikki Boyer. And first of all, I just want to thank you, Nikki, so much for joining me today. Oh my gosh, I am so excited to be on this show. I adore you and I can't think of a better fit to bring this story, right? Fearlessly authentic, right? Yes, absolutely. So a little background on Nikki. I am going to read this. And Nikki, first of all, as you just heard, she has the most amazing voice ever. She is a vibrant comedian on camera personality who is labeled as the girl next door with a little edge, for sure. She... (laughs) Direct, created, hosted, and executive produced the successful Wondery podcast, Dying for Sex, about her friend Molly and how her cancer diagnosis inspired sexual adventures to help her feel alive. And that's really how I connected with Nikki was right. by listening to her podcast. Um, just a few other things, just to let everybody know how accomplished you are. Mm-hmm. Nikki is also hosting The Daily Smile, a daily show about good news and positivity, which I think is so amazing because you know what? In times like this, we need posititive. My gosh, right? Yes. yes. So um, thanks for saying that. Yeah, I just it's, recorded. It's, I just finished The Daily Smile and then jumped in here. So I'm doing it every day and it's, they're great stories. So I can't know, wait for you guys to listen. Yeah, daily. That's We'll talk about that, but yeah, yeah, doing something daily. I think that's very cool because I think people don't always want to wait every single week to hear something super positive and fun, (laughs) right? Right, And once you're on a roll, you're like, let's get this going. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. exactly. So Nikki is also a three-time Emmy award-winning TV host who made her mark as the host of Yahoo's Daytime in No Time, making her the most watched woman on the web with over 700 million clicks yeah, during her crazy? time there. I know. What? I know. What? It was a, it was another daily show. And we it was at the time that Yahoo was booming and had that homepage. Remember, you'd always go to your Yahoo homepage yes. and you just click things. Well, my show happened to be featured there on a regular basis. So I was the most clicked on woman up and the web, which is quite a statement can you, when you consider what people are clicking on. <laughs> right, right. So didn't Yahoo have like a song, like was it Yahoo? Or <laughs> did it. I just make that up? No, that was it. But that was the song. It was just one word, but it went <laughs> Yahoo. Right. I can't sing. So for everybody who knows me out there, you know, I can't sing. That's hilarious. Um, she is also, she's been a regular on E's Hello Ross, which is hilarious, co-host of the Straight Talk with Ross podcast and a frequent guest on the Wendy Williams show. 
um, like amazing. Thank you. Uh, just amazing. And I, I am very, very super honored that you accepted my invitation to be on yes. the show. Thank you. I, you know, it's funny um, when you do, when you start to do things and put yourself out there, people are like, oh, what do we call your people or how do we get in touch to book you? And I'm like, you know, I'm just a one woman show. I've been in the business for such a long time, but I love connecting with people and I love you know, my fiance just said yesterday, like, oh, I'm so sick of social media. I love social media because I feel like it connects me. I would have never met you. I would have never right. gotten to do this show. And I use it for the positive. I get rid of the stuff that feels trolly or crappy or negative. I just kind of block it. I put it out because I get to decide what shows up on my feed. I get to decide what I bring into my world. So um, I'm grateful that you reached out to me and I'm so happy to be on the show. Thank you. You know, when I, I listened to the podcast and I don't, I think uh, what led me to go to it was the name Dying for Sex. Yeah. I was wondering how you found it. You know, I, I was talking to my daughters about how podcasts and I told my youngest one who's 27, I said, you know, when I, I can't believe when you I have looked, a 27 year old. What? And 31. My oldest is 31. Jody, this is not. Yeah. How do you have? <laughs> You're so sweet. That just yes. blows my mind. You when you go out me. together, are they like, oh, look, the sisters. They do. <laughs> I'm sure. They do. They do. Wow. And my oldest one looks like a mini me also. And so wow. I'll show you. I'll send you pictures. After, Will you send me? Okay. Yeah, I'd love send to you see. Pictures. Okay. So. Um, you know, we were talking about how we find podcasts. So I was telling my oldest, my youngest one who listened to pod, who listens to podcasts all the time. I said, well, I'll just put in like, say, if you like listening to something fitnessy or something empowering, or I don't, I didn't feel like listening to something sexy per se, but I, I, it came up. I don't know how. And Amazing. I thought, oh, well, is this porn? Right. And, oh, by the way, I just want to let everybody know who's listening. There are some sexual things we're going to be talking about, and there might be um, some some expletives we might use, but nothing horrible. Yeah, but if you have no. small children around and you might be concerned, you know, this isn't like X-rated or anything like that. No. I just want to let you know this is just girls talking about stuff. So yeah. just just to let you know. Yeah. Um, so. I saw, you know, I saw dying for sex and I thought, oh, what could this be? It can't be porn. I really don't feel like listening to porn, you know, watching, listening or two different things, <laughs> right? <laughs> kind of a weird thing. So then I heard your amazing voice. Oh. I thought, oh, voice. Wow. I need to listen to this. And then I listened to the trailer and I thought, wow, what an amazing story this is. I must listen and honestly, I was hooked. And after the first episode, I wanted to reach out to you and say, wow, this is amazing. But I said, no, I'm not going to bother her. I'm not going to bother her. But then I started crying. Mm. And that's when I reached out to you. I'm so glad you did. Okay. Can I ask you, have you finished the podcast? Did I you have. Listen to, oh, you did. Okay. All right. I did. And I was, I was, I was sobbing. Yeah. I was sorry. I had a lot of different emotions, but I want to mm -hmm. share with everybody, and I'd love for you to do that too. Tell them, tell them about Molly. Tell them about the, how this whole journey began. Okay. So for those of you that aren't familiar with the Dying for Sex podcast, go listen if you can. By the way, it's yes. on Wondery. Amazing. I have to say, um, I was always a fan of Wondery. I always thought they had a a great way of storytelling. The fact that I got to partner up with them with Molly's story was amazing. Um, it's, you know, it's a really interesting journey because when Molly and I first started recording the episodes, 
she was healthy, quote unquote, right? Mm-hmm. She was going through her cancer treatments. She was feeling pretty good. She was diagnosed as metastatic, having, you know, quote unquote, terminal uh, cancer, stage four breast cancer. So there was no, there's no cure, right? It's just treatment until treatments don't work anymore. So when she got diagnosed with this, um, she decided to do something really bold. So she left her marriage of 15 years and decided to embark on a sexual journey. So um, we sort of tap into that in Dying for Sex. We talk about all the kinks and the fetishes and the crazy things that she experienced. Um, And it was just, it's just two best friends talking. Well, in the process of us um, trying to find a home for the podcast, Molly was admitted into the hospital and we knew that she was not going to be getting out. We knew this was going to be her final sort of visit to the hospital. And she was in the hospital for about, I want to say almost four months and then entered hospice. And along the way, we still continued to record a little bit. So we recorded two girls talking about sexual fantasies and escapades. And then it sort of, at episode three, you start to really, we start to peel back the layers of who Molly is, why she chose sex, and and what it was for her. So I think the Dying for Sex title is very, you know, wow, what is this about? But I think it's about friendship and about love and about overcoming adversity and about honestly talking about sex, which most people don't want to talk about, and death. A lot of people don't want to talk about dying and what it feels like to die. So that's, I think, what we did in the podcast. And I I, I hope you listen because it was pretty profound for me. And I think the people that have listened and commented to me are saying that it's been prof- profound for them as well. That's a great word, profound. I that's a great way to describe the whole journey uh, because if anybody who's gone through that with a loved one, a friend that they love, uh, they know how difficult that time is. And you yeah. were her person, you know, yeah. you were her universe. And she was from the East Coast. Mm-hmm. You were originally from the Midwest, and then you right. both found each other in an acting class in California, right? <laughs> I know. So, yeah, we both. And you in said our she 20s. was like, in, in the acting class for a hot minute, right? Right, yeah. She was, I don't even think she knew what she wanted to do at that point. Uh, but when I look back and think, what if I wouldn't have shown up to that class that day? Or what if she mm-hmm. wouldn't have signed up? Like we were meant to meet, but she did not like me at first. She thought I was, you know, the typical actress who's like, hey, pay attention to me, which really is not that far off. Um, but then we got paired up to do a scene, you know, scene study where the teacher's like, okay, the two of you are going to do this. And we got paired up to do a scene together. And we decided in the scene, I don't know if I've ever told this before, in the scene, she was going to play the really popular savvy girl. And I was going to play like kind of the homely dorky girl. So it was really nice to, to do that with her. And once we started rehearsing and spending time together, that's when I fell in love with her. She's quirky. She was odd, a little different than the friends that I had had before. Um, but I really loved her. And, 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 you know, 20 years later, you know, we were still best friends. And yeah, I was her person. I was, I was her person. And that yeah, was an interesting it, road to be someone's person as a friend, right? A lot of responsibility goes with being that person when you know that you're that person's person. And so when you found out that she was, when she shared with you that she was sick Mm -hmm. and she was in her late thirties, 
I believe. Yeah, she was like, well, gosh, yeah, she was misdiagnosed at 32 okay. um, by our same OBGYN who basically said the lump in her breast was nothing. So I always like, every time I'm doing an interview about Molly, I promised her that every time I got to speak about this, I would encourage people that early detection for breast cancer is so important and it's not difficult to do. Go get a mammogram. If you think you might need one, go get one. If you think you feel something, go get one. Like, please go get a mammogram because Molly felt something at 32. The OBGYN, ugh, who I'd like to mm, said, <laughs> it's nothing, right? It's nothing. You're fine. You're too young for breast cancer. And so then flash forward to, I believe, 38 was when she was diagnosed with, um, with breast cancer and then had the double um, mastectomy. It went through chemo, radiation, I mean, everything. And then it came back um, in 2015. So she's had quite a, like a nine-year battle almost with all of this. She went through a huge, huge journey. Yeah. So she was going through this and you knew, you know, that you were best friends or really, 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 really good friends and that she was, you were her person. Did you feel like this overwhelming um responsibility to be there for her while this whole thing started? You know, when she was diagnosed as terminal, I locked into her in a certain way. Previously, you know, her cancer diagnosis and her her uh, her surgeries and all of that, I was very involved with her. I mean, we were really close friends. But full disclosure, at that time, she was still with her husband, and he was very much her caretaker. He was her champion. He was by her side. So even though Molly's relationship with him sort of changed and shifted, I do like to acknowledge that he was her person at that time. Um and took very good care of her and, and helped her to the best of his abilities. Obviously, you'll learn from the podcast and later in Molly's book that there were some things that were going on that were not really healthy for her. Um, but he was really, he was there for her. So when she got diagnosed as, as metastatic, I remember thinking, this is, this feels big. This is, this feels different. This is a shift. So, Yeah. Oh, there you are. I know. You, I froze and you froze, right? I know. We were like freezing at different times. At least we should yes. freeze together, right? <laughs> I know. I know. That would be funny. <laughs> Welcome to technology. Yes. Oh, my goodness. I don't um, even know what I was I, saying. You left off with just basically you want to let everybody know that when Molly was with her husband, he was a good caretaker. So Yeah, he took care of her. Yeah. And then eventually, you know, their, their relationship turned into what it turned into, which you will get details about in the podcast right. and in her book. But um, then when she was diagnosed as metastatic, I knew I felt a shift for me. Okay. And when she moved out, she moved very close to where I lived. So we were we were close in terms of friendship, but we were also very close in terms of distance, which made being there for her just so much easier. We saw each other on a very regular basis. Plus we were working on this project together. Right, so, so this gave made, us a reason, yeah, to get right. together a lot. So what made you, as she's going through this and she says, okay, you know, I've been diagnosed, it, you know, in my late thirties and then it came back and yeah. that's when she decided to leave her husband we don't want to give up too much information because right. we want the, everybody to read the book. I can't wait to read the book. I know, right? And, Me too. Uh, but did you feel that she went, she decided to just kind of go, that's when she was like, okay, I, I need to like go out there and have as much sex 
I, I need to explore. I guess mm-hmm. that's the word. I need to explore. I feel free. I want to free myself mm-hmm. of my marriage because it's not working for me. I'm going to die. I explore everything. Yeah, she was very clear that she had a certain amount of time left. She didn't know. She'd always say, is it years? Is it decades? Like, what is it? But she knew that it was different than the average person, right? She had a diagnosis that was, there was no cure. And she was very good at um, her own, being her own advocate, her own healthcare, you know, advocate. She was very aware of the fact that she needed to try some different things that she um, was, she was willing to do. She did cannabis treatment. She did chemo. She stopped chemo. She tried a hormone therapy. She tried radiation. She tried all of it. She was willing to try anything. Um, And I think what was interesting was that this was all going on as she was also navigating her sex life. So she was navigating her health care and her sex care at the same time. So when Molly left her house, which is so empowering, right? Like, right. But, but she says herself that when most people go through these types of um, treatments, it decimates their whole system and their sexuality and their, their drive. But for some reason, Molly felt very ignited and wanted to take what she had been doing virtually and bring it into the real world. So that's when she started having dates, seeing many, I mean, I, it's so funny. I, this is her phone right here. I still have her phone and I know I hold it every night and, and like touch it and think of her, but like, this is where she navigated her sexual awakening was from this little guy here. And I have all the texts, all the pictures, I get way more than I bargained for. When I go through her phone, sometimes I'm like, Oh girl. (laughs) But what I found amazing was that, um, it was her way to reclaim some control of her body, of her emotions, of her life. And I think she knew also Jody, it's important to know that she knew she was working out some childhood stuff, but she was also doing it from a very um, aware place. She was very aware of what she was working out. And so one day I picked her up for lunch. I mean, it was like 11 o'clock. So it's like old people lunch, you know, when you're like, well, let's get, go get the, uh, let's get in there before anybody else shows up. Early bird special. Exactly. The early bird special. I picked her up and she looked really cute. And I was like, why do you look so cute for lunch? Like, you didn't tell me this was a cute lunch. And she's like, oh, I've been on two dates already. And I was like, Molly, you have to tell me about this. And so as she's telling me about the dates and who she made out with and who she gave pleasure to in certain spots at Dunkin' Donuts and at the coffee shop, like stories that would just blow your mind. I said, I think there's a show here and I think it's called Dying for Sex. And she was like, and then from that moment on, we were like, let's make something. We don't know what, but let's make something together. And I think that's how things happen. I think yeah. that when that light bulb goes off and we just say, okay, let's do it. And that's why that takes a lot of courage to just say, oh. let's go Let's go forward with this. And it, she was probably super excited about it because as you said, she sort of wanted to leave her mark. Like let, she wanted to be remembered for something. Yeah, she did. And she did enjoy being the center of attention. You know, it's funny. She was um, always teetering on whether she wanted to be the center of attention or kind of hide or be in the center of attention or kind of hide. And as a writer, um, I know she'd always been wanting to write and to share and to share. But Molly shares in the podcast that she was um, a victim of some childhood abuse. So I think as a survivor of that, of sexual abuse as a kid, you are constantly teetering between wanting to be seen and wanting to hide. And I think a lot of that went on for Molly. 
in her um, career, in her personal relationships. So she did love to be the center of attention, but also felt scared about it. But the beauty of this is that she sort of asked me when she was dying, it was so important to get her story out. She wanted to be seen, to be heard, to be valued. And I think more than anything, which falls in line with your show is to inspire other people. Human connection was so important to her, so incredibly important. Connections with her nurses, her doctors, the person taking the trash out in her room. And and something so beautiful I wanted to share is that when she was getting ready to pass, she had her mom and dad bring all of her like knickknacks and items to the hospital. And she gifted all the people that came into her room with something of hers that reminded them of her, her of them. And And she just really wanted to leave something behind. So in a way, I feel like I'm doing her work, which is continuing her story and her legacy. And what she left behind has been hard for me, but also so wonderful and beautiful. It's been my passion project. Right, right. And it just came as an idea. And you just said, let's go for it. And did did you just start recording? You just said, okay, you need to literally everything. Because one of my favorite things about the podcast are the phone calls that you make. Oh, right. So we did those phone calls after um, she'd passed away. So those were an after. Isn't that crazy? So Molly was never included in those phone calls, but we we kind of enmesh everything in the podcast. But um, she wasn't a part of any of those. She would have loved it because we talked in the original recordings of like, hey, let's call some of these guys. And you know what, Jody? We always thought there was going to be a season two. Like we always talked about it and thought about it. And what are we going to do in season two? And I still can't believe we couldn't do a season two. And even though I knew that she was dying, I didn't know, know it, right? Like it didn't, right. I knew it, but I just kept moving ahead, like as if she was going to be here for the long haul. And um, well, I, yeah. I didn't think she was going to pass. I was rooting for her. I wanted to hear right. more, more of her adventures. And once she got to the hospital, I realized, okay. It's, yeah. But then what I loved about it was that what you brought to the listeners was how she sort of went full circle. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, went crazy doing what she needed to do to have that connection because that was so important for her to feel that touch, whatever it was. And I, I remember sharing this podcast with a bunch of the ladies at my fitness studio and telling them what she was doing. And they said, well, I'd rather go shopping and I'd yeah. rather be watching Netflix or I'd rather be doing something else. And I said, you know, it's interesting because you need to listen to it anyway, because everybody has their own way of, of dealing and connecting mm-hmm. with the world when they're going through something so traumatic. I totally agree. And everybody's version of um, bucket list or um, adventure is different. Like what do you, I think if there's a takeaway from this podcast, it's about healing, um, about forgiveness, about coming the full, so you nailed it. Like coming, being able with being okay with the messy part of coming full circle, like full circle is never like this beautiful journey. You know, it doesn't really look like a circle. It looks like this, like it's all over the place. Um, and her, her first full circle looked different than other people's. So I think if there's one thing to take away from this, it would be 
what do you want to do with the time that you have left? And what are you waiting for? Are you waiting for a terminal diagnosis to finally do that thing or do those things or show up in the world the way that you want to? And a lot of people are where we keep waiting, like we keep waiting. So one day, one day I will, or someday. And I think for Molly, she really wanted to have sexual experiences. She didn't have them as a kid, as a, not a kid, but she didn't have the sexual experiences she wanted as a young adult. She didn't have um, the relationships that she wanted. She didn't want, she didn't get to tune into her body the way that she wanted. So for her, this was part of her full circle. And she just, I mean, she went for it. So the dying for sex episodes start with fetishes, kinks, things that, you know, I would get a little bit judgy about, even though I'm pretty sexually open. And I was like, whoa, what is she doing? And then you realize what that brings her to. So what, what she gets from the sexual exploration. And um, right. it's different for everybody. Everybody's, everybody's idea of adventure is going to be different. But I think what she wanted you to take away is what is it that you want to do? What is it that you're waiting for permission to do? And who are you waiting for permission from? Because you get that's, to give yourself permission. That's a great point because I say that to so many people. What are you waiting for? You know, in life, whether it's in a relationship, whether, you know, because I've been in the fitness world for most of my life, um, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Because if you're waiting for that perfect moment, yeah, perfect moment's never going to happen. I know. Right? And it's, we all work really hard and we have to, and that's why finding that balance is also super important because we do, sometimes we do wait until it's too late or we get sick or, right. um, somebody that maybe we didn't spend enough time with. And then we're saying, what were we doing? Why, why didn't we do more with that person? Or why didn't I travel more? I mean, things are different now, but I think that she chose to spend her time that way. And then she was able to reflect yes. after she sort of got it out of her system. And how cool was it to have you as a co-pilot? Oh yeah. <laughs> You know, it's thanks for saying that. That's really nice to hear because I, I don't even think in the moment when it was happening, I realized that I was her co-pilot. Um, but I really, her, some of her favorite things that we did together were to share these stories. Like she'd be like, oh, I just had chemo or, oh, I just got this new drug. And I, I was, you know, on the bathroom floor throwing up last night. But let me tell you about what happened uh, Thursday night when I got together with, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I think it was a really nice distraction from being sick. Yeah. And nobody talks about, you know, how sex and death can be linked. But for Molly, it was about sex was about um, creation, about connecting, about getting in there and getting uncomfortable and getting comfortable and then back uncomfortable again. And for her, that was the antithesis to death. She felt very alive when she was going through this. And coming from someone who dealt with sexual abuse in her younger years, sex was sort of this taboo thing that didn't feel like it was integrated in her body. And it was the first time she was integrating sex into her body after she lost her breasts, after she lost the, like the capability of, you know, parts working right. And I think it was a really interesting place for her to be explore. We're going to keep talking about this. We're going to take a break. I can't believe how fast time is going. I know. I know. I'm sorry. We're going to take a break and we will be back in a few minutes. Hang in there, everybody. We'll see you in a few minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device. 
including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency Podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. On Fearlessly Authentic, Jody talks about mental and physical well-being, and the key to both starts with proper nutrition. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan was created to help your body feel better. Whether your goal is to lose weight, gain muscle, or just feel lighter and more energetic, Following this meal plan can help you get there. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan is a 21-day plan to help you learn the most important things about the food we eat and what foods are right for you based on your goals and activity level. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan is a real plan for real life. This is not a diet, but a change in lifestyle. The plan is simple and easy for you to follow. In the 21-day plan, you will receive meal ideas, snack ideas, a grocery list, and a 21-day journal crucial to your success with inspirational quotes to keep you motivated and keep track of your progress. The key to success is commitment, consistency, and willpower. Be fearless and trust the journey. Go to JodyFit.com to purchase the JodyFit meal plan now and use the promo code PODCAST to get 25% off. You need to live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Our listeners have told us that they want to be motivated, hear about success stories, and positive encouragement around the clock. And we've responded to you. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's here at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Fearlessly Authentic with Jody Harrison Bauer. We'd love to hear from you with any questions or comments you may have. Send an email to info at jodyharrisonbauer.com. That's info at jodyharrisonbauer.com. Now, back to Fearlessly Authentic. Hey guys, welcome back to Fearlessly Authentic. I'm your host, Jody Harrison Bauer, and I'm here with Nikki Boyer. Thank you so much, Nikki, for being here with us and talking about your book. Coming out when? Next week, right? So Molly's book is coming out August 18th. So Tuesday. Is that Tuesday? Oh my gosh, Jody, that that's Tuesday. <laughs> I am so excited. Tell us about the book. Okay. I think the most important thing to know about the book is that it is a deeper, darker dive into Molly's life. So she wrote it from her hospital bed. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine going through all these sexual escapades and then getting to the point where you're realizing that you're dying within weeks or a month. So she, during a time when she should have been resting and, and, and just sort of sitting and, and, and going through the process of passing, she decided to rip, you know, to pull out her computer and do the hardest work of her life, which is to write a book, right? She'd been waiting her whole life to write it. I, I'm trying to, I've been trying to write a book for 10 years <laughs> and I, I have somebody in my life who has known me for 10 years, mm-hmm. voice if she's listening and 
I need to write a book. I need to write a book. I said, who's going to, who's going to read my book? What should I write about? Now I have a lot to write about. Yeah. But it's still, it is a very difficult thing. I, I keep texting her. I go, how do I start? Where do I start? Right. Well, you and I will talk about it later. But no, I love that though. I think you should start. I think Molly should, Molly wanted to write a book her entire life. And she said to me, why did I wait to die to write oh. about my life? So Jody, you're going to write a book See, and I'm going to read it. Just what you said, like people wait too too late. And there was Molly on her deathbed, literally yeah, and literally. figuratively. Yeah. She is writing her book. I don't, when I listened to it, I did not understand how she ever had the, um, the, this, the brain power, mm-hmm. the, where did she get the energy to do something like this? She would schedule it very she was very clear about what she wanted to do. So she would say to her doctors, like, I cannot have pain meds from this time to this time because I can't think clearly. And so she told the whole floor. I mean, she was there for almost four months. So you have to imagine everyone knew who she was. Everyone loved her right. and everyone knew she was writing a book. She'd written a couple of chapters months prior, um, but I think she really dug in and got really clear with herself. I think for the people that listen to the podcast, you start to understand why she chose sex. You start to understand her relationship with her family, um, with her ex, with her friends, um, with, with strangers in her life, how she showed up. And it's, it's darker. It's a little deeper, but it's also like, how do I say this? It's, it's also from the point of view of looking back at her life. Like when you listen to the podcast, you're kind of in her life with her. And then the book allows you this sort of, um, reflective, like looking back and seeing, oh, this is what I learned. This is why I did it. And I think it's going to be interesting for people that are fans of the podcast to dig into the book because it's going to be a whole, even though you know her, you're getting to know her more deeply. And I think that's going to be, it's, it's an intense read. It's beautiful. It's witty. It's dark and it's really brave. And knowing that she wrote it, clicking away, you know, on her, on her, you know, little computer from her hospital bed. Oh, and, I love and her. her mom and her mom was in there with her, and you yeah. were there almost every day. I know mm-hmm. that one of the things we talked about um, was finding the headspace to always be there when you have, you know, a significant other in your life, children, work, and finding the headspace yeah. for somebody you care about so much. You, yes, you're working on this project, so part of it is work, but it's work with different. It's different than you know, yeah. the regular work that you do and yeah. how for people who might have that person in their life, where and how did you find that headspace to be there for Molly in the way that maybe in the way that you wanted to be there in the way, you know, you know she needed you to be there. Yeah. That's a, that's such a good question. That is such a good question because I don't even know if I was conscious of what I was doing in the moment, but I know I luckily have a great partner, my fiance. Um, fiance, it's such a funny word. We just got engaged like two I months do not ago. Like oh my that word, fiance. <laughs> Who came up with that? I actually, <laughs> I actually told my husband we were engaged for, um, I think, six months. Yes, we were engaged for six months because yeah. I don't like that word, fiance. I know. I know. And I don't like the word boyfriend either when I'm like I almost. Hey, boyfriend. I know. It's just, it's just, I know it's ridiculous, but my fiance and my two stepdaughters who are 17 and 14 um, and my mom and my brother, my whole family, um, I was very open with them about my process. And so I think anyone who is a friend or a caretaker of someone who's going through this and you need to be there for them and be of service and also be their person, 
you need to also take care of yourself. So I would be very honest with people about how I was feeling, where I was feeling. I didn't do the martyr thing like I'm taking care of my best friend and I'm doing everything. I was very honest with myself in the process. I let myself. exhausting. Yes, Jody. Thank you for saying that. I was emotionally exhausted. Not only was I watching my best friend die, I was also trying to work and trying to be a stepmom and trying to be a dog owner and trying to be a, a fiance. A and Exactly. A lover trying to keep my sex life alive yeah. and my life alive. And um, it was, a, it was, but I learned so much about myself going through it. And Molly never made me feel responsible for her. I mean, if it were up to her, I would have been in her room 24 seven, but she never right. made me feel like I had to. She had a lot of respect for my family and for my life. And even though she wanted to kind of be the center of my world, right? Because right. She, I was her person. She allowed for me to still do those things and feel okay. But the funny thing is she really loved to be the center of my world. And here she is years after her passing and she is the center of my yes. world right now. Like everything yes. I'm doing, I feel like is for her. So I think she would be enjoying this. <laughs> I I absolutely love that. And everybody around you was super supportive of what, did anybody yeah. think you, you guys were crazy for journaling this entire journey and did anyone no. say this is a little weird or why do you want? That's and I funny know you say, yeah, no, now that you're bringing that up, my mom, I think was a little confused because she came out mm-hmm. to visit and I was working with Wondery at the time and Molly had even already passed. And my mom was like, why is this? I don't get this. Like, why is this so important? I know Molly's important, but I don't understand this podcast and the producing and the writing and the four hour phone calls. She didn't, she couldn't wrap her head around it. And when she listened to the final episode, my mom called me and was like, couldn't even breathe. And she was like, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever listened to. It really is, Nikki. It really, that's how I immediately, when I finished, I think I I messaged you and said, I just, I just finished listening and I am just so touched by the whole story. Thank you. It It, was really that last episode. I, whenever I miss her, uh, I'm going to get emotional. Whenever I miss her, uh, the most I feel like if I listen to that episode, because it, even though she's dying, I mean, I, we recorded that what, two weeks before she passed away, even though she's dying, I feel so alive when I listen to that. Cause mm-hmm. I feel so connected to her and for anyone who's afraid of death or, you know, doesn't know what to say to someone who might be ill. Like, I just feel like listening to this gives you just a window into a different world and a different perspective of how to look at, at death. You know, and what I I also loved about it, um, that it was such a beautiful story and that, yes, there were some dark parts about her going to New York to be in Fashion Week. That must have been super cool. I hope she wrote about that. That was, but that was a really also a weird time. Like it was cool. I was very taken back, taken aback Uh by how she felt during that time. Um, Yeah. So that that was something interesting that um, I hope that she talks about in the book a little bit more. But I think so yeah, many women, that before we took our break, was um, you know don't wait until you get sick or it's too late. Like do it now. Like mm-hmm. you know whether it's writing a book or getting fit or traveling or whatever whatever mm-hmm. it is, getting rescuing a dog like you and I mm-hmm. have both done, right. Whatever it is, do it. And a lot of people are afraid of what maybe the way they were brought up about sex, about yeah. sex 
and death. And isn't that interesting? I don't know if it's a female thing, the sex part, or if it's the way you were brought up. And I know that, you know, I, I grew up in Connecticut and I was brought up by back in the day, you know, you didn't have sex with boys. It's not because you were going to get a, a disease or we're going right. to get pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. So my mom literally put the fear of God in me <laughs> to never have sex ever. Like Jody, never have sex. Right. We didn't talk about it. She didn't, she didn't ever say to me, sex is a beautiful thing. Sex mm-hmm. is a wonderful thing. And my oldest daughter, who I said is now 31, uh, my ex-husband and I wouldn't let her see Titanic. And this was because there was a sex scene. Oh, right. And then, you know, he, he painted the picture of her. Right. And Alyssa <laughs> was in third grade and all of her friends were they all the parents were letting their kids, and she would say, even so-and-so's mom is. And so I said, I'm sorry. Anyway, long story short, she comes out of the shower after we're arguing about this, and she says, now she's eight years old, and she says, I know what sex is. And I said, you do, huh? And so we had this conversation about sex, and thank goodness, she said, I never want to have sex in my life. Well, good, you're eight years old. Good, I'm <laughs> glad you don't want to have sex. But I think it's something, I think it's something that... As um, women, we need to talk about a lot. We need to talk about our sexual experiences and what yep. feels good and what doesn't feel good. So Absolutely. we don't get to be like how I was after I got divorced in my 40s, only having sex with two people in my entire right. life when I was 42 years old, having sexual experiences. Right. So, you know, I've told my daughters, please have as many, you know, healthy sexual experiences yeah. as you can before you decide of your life with. And women don't do that. Why do you think that is? You know, I think because from the get-go, um, if a little boy has a bunch, you know, not to make this super gender specific, but it yes. is when we're young. If a little boy has a bunch of girlfriends, then he's like a badass, right? right? But if a little girl has a bunch of boys that like her and she's like juggling a bunch of boys, then she's looked at in a different way. There's no high five mentality. So I think it's I don't know. I think it's it, we're brought up to think that. And then when you look at, at, at pornography, it's never based on the women's pleasure. It's always based on the men. And it's almost like we aren't allowed to have pleasure. We're, we're designed to make a baby, like, right? Great. We have sex for children. And so I think this dialogue that we have um, goes against the whole idea of like, no, we can have pleasure. We can have partners. We can have multiple partners. We can do what we want because it's our body. Body. And I think it's starting to shift and change. The pendulum is swinging. And I was so proud of Molly because she had no shame in her game. And what I also loved about her is that a lot of the times our sexual pleasures come from things that we have shame about. Like we have shame about what we like so we have shame or we feel bad that we like this certain thing or that certain thing. We're afraid to tell people. With Molly, yes. there was no shame. She sort of just met everybody where they were and was willing to explore and find things. And so my, my advice is to people is to really tap into what you like and what you want and don't have any shame in it because I promise you there's somebody out there that likes what you like and will do what you want Great to do. Advice, Nikki. Yeah, <laughs> you know. I, love, I love when she talked about the foot fetish guy. Right? Yes. Okay. I'm not a feet person. I don't like feet either. I don't. But as she spoke about it and kind of when I was going through her phone and I saw all these foot photos of her that she was sending to these men, I thought there 
is something kind of sexy and sensual about this. So I started to understand it a little more. But man, there are some guys that are into feet. They don't need anything but feet. And that's just fascinating. Like, it wow. is fascinating. We should we should do a show about <laughs> fetishes and all, it, because it is. I, I love that. Love, I'd love to know like where all of these ideas come from. And again, there should be no shame in liking what you like. Do you need right. to help? world? Do you need to write a book about everything that you like sexually? No. But to be honest, as long as you're with a partner that you trust. Yeah. And as long as you're safe, right? You're not harming anyone, like go for it. Right, right, right. So were you ever afraid that given the uh, therapy she was going through, that maybe she didn't have the stamina to do some of the things? I mean, you know, or that she was going to hurt herself because she she lost a lot of weight. She was frail. She wasn't eating. She wasn't keeping food down. Yet she was still having these sexual experiences. And they were about having intercourse. It wasn't like she was whoring around. Right. I mean, she was, but right, right. But I know but in mean, her yeah. own way, like she had her right. own control. And I'm, I mean, you know, this is what she wanted to do. This is what she wanted to do, and she had control over her body. But were you ever worried about? her getting hurt or sick or something? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Cause yes, I was like, I was very concerned at times because I would see her in the in-between times when her treatment would kick her butt. Like she mm. knew the timing, like when she'd started treatment that she gets an adrenaline rush and she's okay. And then all of a sudden she just gets knocked out. So I used to bring her food and see her on the bathroom floor and see her looking pale and sick and, and unable to lift her head. And I couldn't believe that that same woman had been on a date six nights ago and was, you know, doing what she was doing. So there, there was no sort of middle ground with her. She always had these, these high highs and these low lows, but I think that's what kind of kept her going. It really, the dating really kept her feeling alive during a time when she was feeling horrible. So yeah, I was worried about her. There were times when she'd come home super late and I'd be like, you know, God forbid something happened to you or you get stuck somewhere. Right. You aren't able to like fend for yourself right now because right. you're so weak. So she started to learn when it felt good and when it didn't. We had a system. She would check in and text me. And let I was, me know she I was, was okay. worried about her. Yeah. I was worried. I, like I, I was like, why are you doing this? Like not, I was so happy that she was doing it, but right. I'm like, okay, where's Nikki? I, I know he's right? like there to help her out. Totally. But when I would say to her, like, I'm, I'm afraid for you. She would say to me, what's going to happen? What's the worst thing that could happen to me? I don't, I don't have a lot of fear left in me, which is interesting from a little girl who used to walk around with a lot of fear and anger. Here she is, this woman who's kind of feeling fearless and invincible because what's, what are you going to do? She said in the podcast, like, what are you going to do? Kill me? <laughs> Right, I remember that. I, I remember sharing that with a few of the women that I was telling the telling them about the podcast that that right. comment she made. She goes, "What's going to happen to me? I'm going to die. Someone's mm-hmm. going to kill me. I'm dying." <laughs> and so she had. Was she always like that, or did you see her personality changing? I saw her confidence changing. Uh-huh. I saw her. Um, yeah, I did watch her change. I watched her. Um, give less F's is what she used to say. Like everybody, she just give, you know, she didn't give an F and she, she was just really into living in the moment and not worrying about the what ifs. And there were times when I was worried about her, but I think she learned in the book, she goes into this. There were some experiences that we didn't talk about in the podcast that we were going to get into, into season two. Um, 
there were some experiences that were traumatizing and hard on her, but she learned so much from those moments. Um, and it's kind of a tease for the book, but I really think it's interesting to know the other side of the sexual escapades when she was sort of um, reverting back to old behavior or found herself in predicaments that didn't feel safe or good. And I think she was really honest about it because she said, you know, yes, sex was a big part of my awakening, but also dealing with the trauma through the sex was also a part of her awakening too, if that wow. makes sense. No, it does because a, a sex and feeling alive or dying, mm-hmm. it's so connected because, I mean, sex is a normal thing to be doing. It's, yeah. we are animals and we, we need that touch and that feel. And if, you know, anybody out there who has children, if you don't give them that, that nurturing and that mm-hmm. touch and that feel, then they're not going to want to do that with others right? and making everything feel safe and feeling that loved feeling. And we all want to feel loved, especially at such a scary time in her life. And I think that's, that's a beautiful segue because at the end of the day, even though she was looking for sexual compatibility deep down, I think she knew she was really looking for love. And I think she needed to give herself permission to go through the sex stuff, to get to the other side of it, to say, okay, now I'm really ready to um, incorporate emotions and sex together so that I can find that kind of love. And um, she realized that she was ready for that love. And, and this was, she discovered that while she was on her deathbed, which is It sounded like she was, I know she was finally opening up her heart. And I remember her saying that to you that, yeah, I think I want somebody to love. I know. And the beauty of it is that she did fall in love, right? Like she really deeply fell in love with herself, which is just awesome. That's what I love. That's what I I so, so love. So what is, where is her mom? I know her mom was a big part of her life. I know mm-hmm. she was in in the hospital room with her for all of those months. They oh had gosh, a difficult yes. relationship. And, um, you know, so like so many women do have push-pull yeah. relationships with their mom. And uh, how does she feel about you um, carrying on Molly's wish to get this book? Um, she is, Molly's, both of her parents, her mother and her father are ecstatic mm-hmm. about the fact that, um, I am continuing to get her out there and continue her legacy. They're grateful, even though the book is going to kind of, you know, shine the light on things that may not be easy for people to read. It may put them in a certain light because of things that happened in the past. But what I find so beautiful is that they are so ready to shine the light on her and whatever her story is, they want it to shine bright, no matter what it means for them personally, because they're they're so supportive of this. And I think it's been a real learning curve for all of us to figure out this is Molly's story to tell, right? And we all have to just allow her words. Like when, you know, I had her book and publishers were like, well, maybe we should do this to it, or maybe we should fix this, or maybe you should write some chapters to put in between. And I tried all of those things and nothing felt right. It just felt like it needed to be Molly's memoir, just Molly. And so that's what the book is. And I can't wait for people to read it. It's going to be released on Tuesday. Yeah, August 18th. And And it's called Dying for no? no, it's actually, there's a different title. So okay. I, I haven't even told anybody what the title is yet. Um, so I'm going to do a book. I'm going to do, well, I'm going to do, <laughs> I love you, <laughs> Jody. Um, I'm going to do a book cover reveal on 
uh, Saturday okay. to let everybody know the cover, the picture on the cover is just, oh, it's just everything. And the title I think is really profound and it's not, um, it's not dying for sex. She had a different title. And so I'm going to release that. And then the book goes for sale on August 18th and you can find it on Amazon, but the best place to get all information about the podcast and Molly is um, dying for sex podcast. You can get on a VIP list. I'm going to be sharing things about Molly through the next six or seven months of just little goodies, pictures that she drew, things about her life that um, that are just interesting. So, And the thing is, it's not just about Molly, right? It's not just Molly's right. life. It's how Molly looked at her life right? and how and she handled her death. And I think yeah, it's- And I think she's going to help so many people. I, yeah. I really do. And, and, thank you. and you, thank you so much for bringing this oh to gosh. life. Oh my gosh. It's just uh, just such a huge, huge story. So in I know that Molly became very confident after going through a lot of these adventures and you saw her confidence grow and she she came being a fearful person to more courageous mm-hmm. and really owning who she was. Right. And so one of the questions I always ask everybody at the end of the show is what fearlessly authentic means to you? Because you are also, you being the co-pilot, we're right along with her. I love that question. I think being fearlessly authentic is being able to admit when you mess up or when things aren't perfect. Because in this process, I wanted it to be so perfect for Molly. And I'm speaking for her a lot of the times. And sometimes I go, should I have said that? Or should I have done that? And sometimes I just have to be okay with not being perfect. So um, making mistakes is all part of being a human and how you recover from those mistakes, I think is even more important. So that's, that's what I think authentic is, is being okay with the messiness of you, right? <laughs> yes. I think, uh, I think so many people, that is, a. I think so many times people feel that authentic has to be perfect. And right. I think authentic is, is the ultimate of after all of that messy stuff, getting to that point yeah, where you can say, this is hello world. This is me. Yeah. All of me. And it's been a messy, messy <laughs> ride, right? right exactly. We all have had that mess and it's yes. been a messy ride, but this is, this is as authentic as I am in this moment. Totally. You totally get it. That's it. Yeah. 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 So thank you so, so much for being on the show. I this- cannot believe that the time is gone. Already. How did that happen? I don't know. This I don't know. So I have to you have are you back. You're so good at what you you're so good at just being a, a human and telling stories and I just I that's a thank rare you. thing in this world. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you from the oh, bottom of my heart. Oh, I'm so glad that we met. Me too. I'm yeah. so so happy. Is there anything else we have 30 seconds left? Is there anything else um the day the daily show that you do the daily smile? Yeah, the daily smiles anything on Wondery subscribe it. Yeah. And also follow me at Nikki Boyer, N-I-K-K-I-B-O-Y-E-R. I'd appreciate it. I'm always going to tell you what's going on with Molly and her and her story. And there is more to come. I just want to say there's a tease. There's more right. to come in the future. Thank you. Thank you so much. And you guys, whoever didn't listen to this live, you can find um, the show tomorrow on any place you listen to podcasts, Fearlessly Authentic. And please subscribe, share the love and mwah, love you so much. Mwah. Love you too. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in this week to Fearlessly Authentic. 
Please listen again next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with your host, Jody Harrison Bauer, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and unlock the keys to a more powerful you.